0: Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to awaken to the truth of your soul? Welcome to today's episode of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show with your host, Nadia Khalil. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Today is Tuesday, July 30th, 2019. I can't believe we have, I think, one more day. Is it this month? Because the first is on Thursday. Wow. We are getting there. It's just so crazy that we're already walking into August. But I just, maybe because I took the week off to film and, and that felt like five weeks. But it didn't feel like five weeks in a bad way. However, the topic of narcissism has come up time Time and time again. It doesn't mean that there's more narcissists out there and it's such a bad thing. I am learning so much about what was already written in Origins of Truth. And that is about the opposite mind that things will be black and white. There won't be that middle ground where we can't really tell who people are. They're they're telling us who they are all day long now. And we have, excuse me, we have the recognition to see it. So today I didn't want to focus on the narcissists themselves and what they do. Because right now, we're in a huge recognition of what's going on. And I also softened my opinion about them because I've healed from the effects of them on my life or on a couple of them on my life. And I haven't a sympathy, an empathy, a caring for the pain that they have to carry out and be who they are. It is not easy to be the person who cannot feel or see what they are doing and that their insecurities are so deep that the only way they can manage those insecurities is to deal with other people in a certain way. What I want to talk to you about today is the second-hand stress that you may start feeling when you're around somebody who's demanding in that way because you can never, ever, ever, never get them to believe you love them. And you will try. Because you walk into this world where you pick up who they are, and if somebody isn't that way, they're helpers, and they may want to help that person. It may make them feel good to feel that they were the ones who helped them. And we want to help them because they feel like victims, They present themselves as victims. Nobody ever, I never, everything's everyone else's fault. I keep trying brand new again. This is my seventh relationship that I've had for more than five years. None of them have worked out. You know, whatever the story is, everybody left me. I was left broke. I was left with nothing. I was left, but they haven't ever done anything about it. Because all of those things have happened to a lot of people. But it's what they did with it, what they did about it. Instead of crying victim, they tell you how they got out of it. And they feel victorious themselves instead of saying, you know, nobody's helped me. So there's a few traps that we walk into that keep us engaged In that behavior. That's why I didn't title the show about narcissism because the focus today is about how to deal with yourself. Because some of us, because there's different levels of narcissism, may have narcissistic traits. Does it mean we're bad? No. It means we have an insecurity deep inside of us that we are too. Frightened, literally frightened to the point of living a completely different life that only protects that insecurity to face our insecurities. So if somebody were to ask me what's the difference between a narcissistic personality, which is considered a disorder, and not, it's in how honest you are with what drives your actions. When Christ says, who would you be if no one you knew would know you? If everyone you knew didn't know you, meaning you without influence, how would you see yourself? What does self-accounting look like to you? All the stuff Christ talked about in the beginning of me seeing him is the stuff that the narcissistic personality does not want to answer. Something happened to them very early on where their security needs were not met. And so they went into survival mode and all they know how to do is survive. And people will even say to them without knowing what they're saying or how, you always end up back on your feet. You always will survive. And it's because of the way they brush off things that they feel didn't work for them. They just make it go away. Someone isn't useful to them, they never talk to them again, only because they don't need to. It's not like they're really mad at them. So how do we end up picking up their stress, and what are those traps? The first trap, I'm not doing enough. You're with them, and you just feel like there is not enough you can do. Well, the truth is there isn't enough you can do. Not because you're not trying. It's because it's a difficult but responsible feeling that you may have. And you need to get control of that feeling. Because a lot of times they will make you feel like you could live your whole lifetime. And every day is a new day. No matter what they ask of you. You can never fill the ticket. But how do you deal with that when you are in the position? Because it's one thing to talk about it here. But what if you are in a relationship and you feel like, oh, my God, this is never going to end. I will never rest. And every day, more of my personal time gets taken because I am busy living their life for them. I remember I was in a relationship for A long time. And there was nothing I could do that would be enough. And if I would fill one hole, they would create another one for me. And until this day, I love that person. I love him. I get it. I know. I met his family. I know where it started. But it beat me down to a pulp. Because of just this one statement, I'm not doing enough. I was told that every single day. But now there's the solution, right? Chase away the tension with a compliment. You're noticing anxiety. But how do you spin that anxiety in a positive way? You can say things like, I care about this. I'm putting effort into us. And that's all I can do. I know it sounds like a simple thing, but for someone to say that to someone who's been controlling them, that's not easy to say. I'm noticing anxiety. I care about this. And I'm putting in effort into us. I'm putting effort into us, period. I'm doing that. This is my best. I remember even personally saying that. This is my best. I I don't know what else to give you. Maybe I'm not the right person for the job. But I felt like deeper inside about the I'm not doing enough, I felt like I was running that ship and the pressure of making a decision that did not benefit the other person nearly killed me because I forgot about myself. My life no longer counted at all because my whole life depended on that person being happy with me until I wore out to the point where, oh, my God, I couldn't take care of myself And then I started feeling like, why would God give me a life if I came here just to serve this person? Like, what did they do without me? How did they make it to today without me in their life before I married them? And why did they marry me if I'm doing everything wrong? What kind of decision maker are they that they chose someone who can't get anything right? Imagine the stuff that went through my head all because of the feeling, the trap that I was in of I'm not doing enough. That's the secondhand stress that I picked up from him because I accepted it. Negative emotions can be contagious. but it is possible to protect ourselves from ourselves getting sucked in. The second trap, I'm responsible for their feelings. Can you imagine taking that on? We do. But we feel like we can make them happy. At some point. And for that one moment, where they may compliment us, we live on that for a long time. Like, wow, they don't really mean what they just said because that one day they actually said the truth and they they thanked me. They appreciated what I did. But when people are in a funk and bickering and you pressure yourself to get everyone smiling, it's a normal feeling to want to make others feel good. However, people are in control of their own happiness, and ultimately, it's not your responsibility. So when you take it on, you're on a treadmill. There's no way anyone can make make me happy. Maybe in one instance, here and there, Maybe I might be down once in a while and someone shows up and we do something. That's normal life between people. But on a daily basis, no one can do that. If somebody innately isn't happy without an event to look forward to or whatever it is that goes on in life that makes us happy or makes us feel happy, to take on somebody else's happiness is a job unfulfilled. You will never you'll never get there. So really think about that one. That's another trap. But how do we take ourselves out of these traps? Well, when you get the first sign that you're irritable that someone isn't doing or feeling what you want them to feel, it's The first signal that you yourself, as a human being, are stretched too far. When you start getting that, I've just got so much on my plate, I can't hear another thing. Reel yourself in. Stop for a minute. And just take a look at your expectations. You expect. Because expectation ruins everything to believe somewhere in your brain in your heart that you can you can fix them this is for all the fixers I'm responsible for their feelings it's all up to me and it's funny I learned this one from my kids because I you know you have a child you are responsible for them but I realized when they were younger, that a lot of things make them happy that I had nothing to do with. And I remember looking at them going, look at how happy they are playing. Look at how happy they are in their own world. And I rested about them and their happiness. And yet, for my partner, I was, Put in a position of being responsible for them. It was like, what, what fire hoop can I jump through to make this person happy and realize that he's got a great thing going. He's got a wife. He's got two kids. The wife isn't going anywhere. We have a home. We have money. We have all the things people want, a swing set in the backyard, Well, things I wanted a minivan to put two car seats in, and in the back I didn't have to go through a trunk to get the stroller out. All that's the stuff that made me happy. So I just assumed the whole world worked like that because I just didn't know any better. He was mad we had to buy a minivan. He was mad that we had to buy a swing set. He was mad that we had to have children. It just went on and on and on. There was nothing that made this person happy. And I did not understand, so I tried to make it happy. But people are in control of their own happiness. And ultimately, it's not your responsibility. I thought, wow, the kids are happy. I'm pretty happy. For the most part, I am. So we have this one person who's running around, throwing judgment, making us feel like not enough. So what would happen? How did I learn this from the kids? Well, when he was gone, we were free. We would play. We would do whatever we were going to do in the house. And before he'd come home, we'd all just put the masks on to protect ourselves wasn't violent, the judgment is violent in a really weird way, because then you even know you were hit in a weird way. They say emotional abuse is really hard, because we can't see it, it's very subtle, but we shape our behavior to it. So when you are in a place where you feel responsible for someone else's feelings, you got to switch your focus to understanding that you are now stretched too far and you need to take a look at realistic expectations of what you can actually do for anybody. It just happens when we're close and people getting closer than arm's length that we get subjected to secondary, I want to call them the second tier of emotions, because the first tier is the public one, and everybody's fine. And usually the people who are harsh on an emotional level one-on-one are great public people. And when you go to say, I need help, this person has reeled me in to not doing enough, I'm responsible for their feelings. Their stress is my stress, which is the next one. No one believes you because they're like, wow, that person's a nice guy. And you're like, yeah, I know. So the person feels isolated. It doesn't say anything until they leave, if they ever leave. And then they start saying it, and people are like, oh, wow, I would never figure that. You are enough. And you are not responsible for anyone's feelings because you can't be. That's ego telling you you could do that. That's ego letting you believe I'm not doing enough. But we didn't even get to the kicker yet. But their stress is my stress that on top of your entire list of tasks and you're scrambling to get things done and you've got this like, frantic energy and it's making it hard to separate their feelings from yours. Their emotions are hijacking you. So you're not sure if it's yours or somebody else's and what's happening because you feel so much for others. So now you get anxiety and stress and you're activating emotions that can feel confusing and the confusing part is you commingled your emotions with theirs. Really think about that. You commingle their emotions with yours. And you have no idea how you got there. And a lot of the secondhand stress comes from the story that we tell ourselves. And we need to rewrite the story She's mad I'm not healthy. That means I'm selfish. Yet a better story would be she's having a bad day. Instead of putting yourself down because somebody is mad at you for not taking on their stress, don't start calling yourself names like I am selfish. That's not okay. Rewrite the story. It's about being kind but not taking it personally, and you will get a better response. Instead of taking on someone's dress, you can say, I'm sorry you're having a bad day today. If there's anything I can do that can help you, let me know. A complete clear line of separation of not allowing that person's stress to be yours. The confusion we start to feel is that we can't even tell the difference between our stress and theirs. Because we are not responsible for their feelings and we are enough. The kicker is when we can't say no because when we cannot say no, we are taken in to a point that there is no line between us and them. And for a narcissist personality, narcissistic personality, they don't look at you as a separate person. That's what draws us in, is they let you know how important you are because what they are doing, it's like a job application. They're looking for someone who will literally be They're appendage. They're arm. So they make you feel like they're really close. And a lot of times for people, we're starving for someone to count us in. And they count you in the first seven times you meet someone with narcissistic personality disorder. They do not show signs of being narcissistic. They're very attentive. They're learning you. It's like a job interview. They want to know if you're somebody who will leave. They want to make sure you're someone who's pliable and will listen to them. You start feeling loved beyond all this attention. Oh, my gosh, you've had to, you know, take months to build this attention with someone new. And yet they are there. A lot of them want to get married right away. They don't care about family. They want to have a little civil ceremony at some small city hall. They just want to get you in. They want to plug you in. And then once they plug you in, they stop wanting to know anything more about you. Now you are their appendage. Now you are their servant, an emotional servant, and you just could not have seen that coming. And they do make you feel like you're not enough, and they do make you feel like you're responsible for their feelings, and they do expect their stress to be yours And they want you to melt away, your life to melt away. Whatever current friends you have, you will see less and less and less over time. And they program you. They say, well, why do you have so many friends? Why are you helping so many people? What are you doing this for? And they start questioning you till you're like, well, I don't know. You're more important. Let me take care of you. And before you know it, your life just disappeared. It doesn't happen overnight. But within two years of you being with somebody like that, you start realizing that nothing that was in your life when you met them is still there. You see all of their friends. You never see yours. You go with him or her to see their friends. They never visit with you with yours. Yours are put on the side. That's something you do because that bores them. Their friends are better. You see their friends. They are more important. They've been chosen And if you you aren't careful, you will lose them, your friends, and realize, wow, I haven't seen you in two years. How did that happen? And then your friends start saying, well, where are you? Like, what happened? And, And then the red flags start going up around you. Not being able to say no is exactly who they're looking for. It's just how it works. It's different than lending a hand. And I have to have you ask a personal question because when we don't say no, it's like a personal expense on us. And if we keep having expenses without anything coming in, what happens? We go in debt. So we have to pay attention saying yes to our own happiness because we cannot ultimately give what we don't have. And we can hear that all day long And we think it's someone else that we're under control. We've got this. But ask yourself, is this at your expense? If you can answer that question honestly, like, yes, if I do this, this is at my expense, then you have to say no. I'm sorry, that's not something I will have time to do. You may not want me to do it because it's not something I'm invested in. I'm committed to another event. Even if that event is you having time for yourself because that's the most important event. Without you replenishing yourself, you will have nothing to give anyone. And then we go back to the part where, you know, not only could we not say no, we can't say no for one of the three reasons. You don't feel like you're enough already. You feel like you're responsible for others' feelings. And you take on other people's stress. And you wonder why you're confused, and it's because you can't tell what's you and what's someone else. It's a very sobering realization to see your part in the enabling process And I'm not here to take away from that personality. I actually, a lot of my clients had that, and I'd have to tell them. They would be very proud of the fact. It happened twice with two men, professional men. Both have their own businesses. They're doing great. They're successful. And both said the same sentence to me, and it just, like, turned this whole research on in terms of how little they can actually see. And I'd have to like point something out to them and they would say, well, everyone knows I'm arrogant. And they took that as a compliment to themselves that they are arrogant, that they, you know, have this self-love to them was through arrogance. And I said to both of them, If you went to a party and someone pointed someone out at the other side of the room and said, well, that man is very arrogant, would you want to meet them? And he'd be like, no. There's your answer. How could you be proud of something you wouldn't even want to meet? But they looked at someone who was as arrogant as they were as competition. We just have to understand what we're dealing with, what they're dealing with. When Christ said there's two separate languages, a language that comes based on love and one that comes based on lack of love, that's it right there, the black and white. And I know we can talk about this all day. However, the show is going to end in like 20 seconds. I'm watching the clock go down. Pay attention to the traps. If you're ever going to say no, ask yourself if it's at your expense. I will see you tomorrow on Relationship Wednesday. Have a great Tuesday. Bye-bye. You have been listening to today's Daily Dose of the Nadia Khalil Morning Show. To learn more, visit www.nadiachalil.com.